Hello, and welcome to Biceps After Babies Radio, a podcast for moms who know that fitness is about so much more than pounds lost or PRs. It's about feeling confident in your skin and empowered in your life. I'm your host, Amber Brzezicki, a registered nurse, personal trainer, online fitness coach, wife, and mom of four. Every week, my guests and I will excite and motivate you to take action in your own personal fitness as we talk about nutrition, exercise, mindset, personal development, and executing life with conscious intention. If your goal is to look, feel, and be strong and experience transformation from the inside out, you, my friend, are in the right place. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's jump into today's episode. You're listening to Biceps After Babies Radio, episode number 17. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I'm your host, Amber Brzezicki, and I have a great interview for you today. So today I am interviewing Sarah Payne, and Sarah is a life coach. She works specifically with women whose husbands have gone through medical training, which you know like rings near and dear to my heart because... For 11 years, my husband and I went through medical training. And yes, I say I went through medical training because when you go through medical school and residency and fellowship, your wife goes to that along with you. It is a it is a family affair. It is not just an individual affair. So Sarah works specifically with that group of moms, but her real goal is to empower women to be the best versions of themselves. And I love that because it aligns so much with what my goal is and my purpose here is. And what I really hope that you take away from this interview is that you are powerful and that the more that you can be aware of your thoughts and be intentional about your thoughts to create the feelings and the actions that you desire in your life, the closer you're going to get to the life that you want to have and that the best life that you're able to have. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Sarah Payne. I'd like to welcome Sarah Payne to the podcast. Sarah, how are you doing? So good. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yes, I am. I'm thrilled to have you on. Um, Sarah reached out to me and said that she had been a loyal Biceps After Babies fan for a couple years and she wondered if she could come on the podcast. And I said, heck yeah. Like I'm all, I love all things life coaching. Um, Sarah, Sarah knows my, my love for life coaching runs deep. So I'm excited to have you here. Thank you. So Sarah, can you kind of first just kind of give us a rundown of you and what you do? Yes. So I am a life coach and I'm also a mother of four kids. I live in Billings, Montana uh, with my husband and children. And I recently went through uh, coach training through the life coach school, if you're familiar with Brooke Castillo. And I help women, um, specifically women who've supported their husbands through medical school and residency to rediscover who they are and figure out what their personal passions are. And you know that that speaks to my heart as I know. a med school <laughs> widow, a medical widow. Um, yeah, I know that experience very well. Um, and so what kind of led you to that niche? What what drove you to that? Have you experienced it? And yeah, do you kind of know so what that's hus- like? Yes, my husband's a podiatrist. So he went through schooling and, and residency. And I just found that like whenever I... Um, met someone who had been through a similar experience, like yourself included, like even though we had never met in person, like when I found out that your husband was, that you were in the middle of residency when I first discovered you, Mm -hmm. I was just like instantly drawn to that. Like I like, I have a connection with her. She knows (laughs) what I've been through. You know what you're going through. Yes. Yeah. And I wanted to help women 
with the, with that same life situation. That's awesome. So can you just kind of give us a general overview? Some people, I feel like life coaching kind of has become a little bit trendy maybe over the last couple of years. So some people might be familiar with that term, but can you tell us from your perspective, like, what does that term mean? What is a life coach? Yeah, totally. So the short answer is that I listen to people and then I give them perspective on their thinking. So I really like how my mentor and coach describes it. She says, when you're in your own life, it's kind of like you're on the inside of the ketchup bottle. So you can't really read the label from the inside. And so that's where a coach comes in. They help you read the label of your life because you can't see it as well from the inside of the bottle. And how, and how do you do that? Like, what's the kind of the process that you're able to give them a limb, a little bit of perspective? Yeah. So when they, when they come to me with a problem as, as there's talking to me, I'm kind of mentally separating out the facts of their situation from their thoughts about what's going on in their life. And then I can show them that it's actually not the, the situation that's creating their problem. It's how they're thinking about that situation. And then what the way that they think about it creates their feelings about it. And then their feelings drive their actions and then their actions create their results. So if we can kind of dissect their feelings about their life situation, then I can help give them perspective and because thoughts are optional. So it's their thoughts that are creating their pain and their problems. And if I can help them look at their problems in a different way, then they can create a different result for their life. So then specifically when you work with clients, you're working with women who have had spouses that are going through medical training and you're talking, you said like rediscovering themselves. Yeah. And most of it's been, most of the women that I, that I've worked with have been already been through residence, medical school and residency. And they've just kind of like given this decade of their life to their husband's career and to raising their children. Like you said, a, a med school widow, like often alone. And then they're just at this point where they want to figure out what they're passionate about again. And so I help them, I help them do that. Yeah. And can I tell you, I don't, I haven't talked a ton about like our med school training and our residency and fellowship, but that's a real thing of, I mean, my husband went through 11 years of, you know, education after he went through college and we lived in different States and we were moving every couple of years. And I did a lot of parenting alone and that's a real, a real thing. And now we're kind of on the other side of it. My husband finished fellowship, um, a year and a half ago now. So, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but that kind of was for me during that period of time, teaching fitness classes was a part, like a part of something I did for me. Um, and then as I, as we like got into fellowship and I got, you know, we're closer to the end, it's really when I picked up my passion project of doing biceps after babies and doing something again, like rediscovering me and rediscovering what's important to me. So I love that you help women do that because I think it's a very needed, a very needed field. Totally. It's so much fun. So, (laughs) so why, why would someone want to hire a life coach, whether they will, you know, work with someone like you, if they're a medical, have a medical spouse Mm -hmm. or even just like a general life coach, why would someone want to do that? No, that's a great question. So life coaches, I like to explain that life coaches often work in the space of good to great. So a life coach would be helpful if you wanted to 
take some kind of big goal to the next level or up-level your life in some way, mend a strained relationship, increase your self-confidence. I mean, I'm kind of biased, but I think that everybody could use a life coach. And I like to tell people that I'm kind of like... Glinda the Good Witch from The Wizard of Oz. Like I show you the ruby slippers that you've always had, and then you are able to create the life that you've dreamed of. That's awesome. And so kind of tell me the difference between you and like a therapist. Yeah. So uh, one of my colleagues explains this in a way that I think is brilliant. So a therapist often helps people resolve issues which are holding them back from past trauma. And often, but not always, these um, people that are needing a therapist have a hard time hitting like standard markers for daily function. Um, a life coach, on the other hand, works with people who are usually functioning at a more quote unquote, normal standard and are just seeking to up-level their lives and live out their potential more fully. And I love this analogy that my coworker, my colleague gives. She says, um, you might say that a therapist is kind of like an archaeologist and they help their clients by digging and uncovering the trauma of their past, whereas a life coach is more like an architect. And our purpose is to help our clients create something new and beautiful for their future. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. Well, and I think it's oftentimes like I have many clients who are seeing a therapist and working with me at the same time. So it's not like, oh, which do I need? Oftentimes both can be very helpful. Yeah. And so that's where the good to great comes in, right? It's like, it's not saying that like anything's wrong necessarily, but it's understanding that I have this untapped potential and having a coach to be able to help me hit that potential can be really valuable. Exactly. Yeah. And to just dissect what, what thinking that you might be having that's holding you back. Because we all have that subconscious thinking and those stories that we tell ourselves that we're not consciously aware of. And I can totally see how having somebody have a bird's eye view, you can kind of call your BS on, you know, that's totally. not true. That's a story that exactly. you're telling yourself. Exactly. We think it's just the facts, right? you know? Cause yeah. That's how we see it. And then someone can say, no, it's not really. And then it is is eye-opening of what you have control over in your life. I love that. So when you work with clients, what are some of the most common things that you deal with? Or what are some of the common things that you guys work through or create? Yeah, self-confidence is huge. In fact, I can't say that I've ever worked with a woman where that hasn't come into play, just working on self-confidence. And um setting big goals and dreams. Um, I really love like helping them tackle big, hairy, audacious goals. Um, we also work on relationships that with, especially most particularly with them, people that are most important to them, their husbands and their children. And then of course on their mental and physical health. That's awesome. And so let's kind of turn it towards, you know, the fitness and wellness space. Is that something that you help clients with or how can you help someone who has maybe some fitness goals? Yes, definitely. It's definitely something that I help them with. Um, because you, you know, very well, Amber, that like you're, you're trained in this area and you know that fitness, um, and wellness and health goals start with mindset, right? So if we can get our mindset in the right place and recognize that like some of our thinking that might be holding us back, then we can create the results that we want. Yeah. And I think that's something that is very under talked about in the fitness industry and in the wellness industry is this idea of having to believe that something is possible and getting rid of whatever is holding you back. And usually a lot of what is holding us back 
is the stories that we're telling ourselves. Um, and we, we don't really believe that we can change. We, we believe that, you know, I saw so-and-so do it, but I don't really think I can do it. Or that would take way too much time. Or I can't be a good mom and be fit. And we tell ourselves these stories and that's really what holds us back from making a lot of the changes that would be very beneficial in our lives. Definitely. Yeah. And I'll often hear, no, I don't need mindset work. I, I just want like, you know, <laughs> just like, tell me what to do. But like, that's where everything really lies. When you can get your mind in the right place, you're going to know exactly what to do. That's where everything starts. And I love that we, I feel like, again, I feel like life coaching has become a little bit trendy. Um, it's just more widespread, but I think it, the reason that it, resonates with people is because it is the foundation of anything that you do. It's the foundation of starting a business, of health and fitness, of relationships, of communication. Like it's it everything that we do comes back to how our mind thinks and how our mind processes. And so if we can really start from the foundation, we can change our lives in big huge ways that we wouldn't be able to if we're just trying to attack the the little, you know, give me a meal plan, give me um, you know, relationship advice, if we can really dive down to what is really causing it, which is our thoughts, then we can really affect change for the long run. Definitely. Are most of the women that you work with moms? Is that pretty common? Yes. Yes. In fact, they all are. They all are moms. Yes. It's, I don't exclusively work with moms, but the, my clients happen to all be moms. Yes. And so you talked a little bit about confidence. Um, what are some of the symptoms that you see people come to? Do they come to you saying, I lack confidence. Help me with that. Or is it something a little bit more sinister that kind of creeps in? No, it will be, I mean, it'll be something like, you know, my children just won't listen to me or I just can't stay on my eating. Like I just can't figure out how to eat right. You know, I just have, I have no self-control or I just can't, you know, I make these plans and these goals to work out. And then like my alarm goes off and I just don't get up. Something's wrong with me. Some, you know, something like that. And how does that relate to confidence? How do you kind of bring that out? Well, I like to teach them that that when when we become someone that we can count on, like when we, because if, you know, Amber, if you and I had plans to go to lunch and then like I just didn't show up, you might give me a second chance or a third chance or even a fourth chance, but like eventually you'd be like, yeah, you're not going to show up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like yeah. done believing but you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Right. But we do that. Like we wouldn't do that. Or if you said, Hey, why didn't you come to lunch? And I said, oh, I just like, I just didn't feel like it in the moment. Right. And, but we wouldn't say that to a friend, but how many times do we say that to ourselves? You know, our alarm goes off in the morning when we've made plans the night before to exercise. And then we just tell ourselves, I just don't feel like it. I'm just not going to do it. Or, you know, I, we, tell ourselves these stories about how we can't eat, eat a certain way, you know, when we're in the moment, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and it just becomes like, I like to teach them about how, when we become someone that we can rely on, like that builds so much confidence in ourselves. We, we, we believe ourselves when we say we're going to do something, it's as good as done. Oh, yes. I call it personal integrity. And I think it's such a huge thing was when you can trust yourself, then when you say you're going to do something like, you just do it. And I love that once you can build that trust with yourself, it does build confidence in so many areas of your life. Yeah. So when you're working with moms, um, how do you help them to develop that trust with themselves? Is it a process of where you like, okay, let's set a little goal. Let's hit it. Let's keep going and like build a little bit, rebuild that trust back with yourself. 
Yeah, exactly. And I always start with what they're thinking about it, you know, what they're thinking about themselves and what they're thinking about their goals. And like you said, yeah, setting, setting small goals and achieving them and then setting a little bit bigger goals and a little bit bigger goals, you know, like, so sometimes we'll like, um, flippantly say something like after we, whatever we binge on too much chocolate or something, we'll say something like, I'm never eating sugar again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And like, we just need to be careful about those kind of things that we tell ourselves. Right. Because maybe, maybe like, maybe you're not going to, and, and I think that's fantastic if that's the goal that you set for yourself, but like just being careful about saying things like that, that we, even in the moment we're like, yeah, I know that that's like, I'm never going to do that. You know, mm-hmm. and I'll just say this to Amber, like, like I, we always just, I always start with, like I said, with what they're thinking and, and it, it's sometimes thoughts that sound so innocent and even like kind, you know, like that can end up being sabotaging our success, you know? So I Talk always like that, to, yeah. I like to look uh, to have my clients take a look at what they're thinking. And then, and then I ask them, how does that thought make you feel? You know, like I have no, con- I, ha- I just have no control over chocolate, right? When chocolate's around, I have no control. And I'll ask them like, it sounds just kind of like this funny little thing that we say, right? But when I say, how does that make you feel? I have no control around chocolate. And then they think about it and they'll say, oh, that makes me feel like defeated or guilty or whatever it is, you mm-hmm. know? And then that feeling is always going to it's the feelings that drive our actions. Mm -hmm. And so if I can just show them that like that thought, I have no control around chocolate, it's just a thought. Mm -hmm. And do you want to keep believing it? You know, you get to decide if you, if you make a thought true or not, like that's what makes it true. You get to decide, you know, and I have no control over chocolate is totally a thought. It's not the truth. If I were, if I had your child and I said, you know, you gave this example of, um, of Darren Hardy in the, in the Mm -hmm. compound effect, you know, like it's one thing, like you say, Oh, I can't do that. But then if your child is on the other side of that beam, right. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to walk across that beam. Right. So if I have, if I say something to you, like, you know, I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars if you, if you don't eat chocolate for 24 hours, most people would probably say, oh, yeah, no problem. Mm-hmm. You can totally do that, right? Mm-hmm. And that all comes from the thoughts that we're thinking. Totally. every Yep, it all comes from the thoughts that we're thinking. That's awesome. So with moms, one kind of transition I want to make and something that I see a lot of with moms and then just women in general, especially on social media, is the comparison game and how this relates to self-confidence. And I feel like, you know, I think it's been – we talk about it a lot with this age of social media, how it's bred a lot of this comparison game. But I know that you work with moms on that and you talk with moms on that and kind of tell us a little bit of what you see with the comparison game and how that impacts the women that you work with. Um, yeah, I think that uh, it it definitely impacts them, right? Because it takes the focus off of like your own goals onto like what somebody else is doing. And if they, you know, if they are better than me or worse than me? And how do I measure up to them? And so it can really just sabotage success when we spend so much of our time focusing on how we compare to other people and where we stack up. And so we talked about this beforehand, but 
you have three ways to avoid that comparison trap as women. Um, Are you willing to share those with us? Yes, I would love to. So the first, the first way that I like to teach to to avoid the comparison trap is to understand like why we're doing it in the first place. You know, why are we comparing in the first place? And I believe that one of the reasons we compare ourselves with others is that we're searching for evidence that we're good enough, that we're okay. And research shows that most of us, sociopaths excluded, have this core fear that on some level we're not enough. And the world is so good at comparing everything, right? Reality TV is wrought with it. Who baked it best, right? Competitions like who wore it best. They're plastered all over grocery store magazine covers. And so it makes sense that we would naturally do the same. And plus, our brains are always looking out for danger. And part of us believes that there's some kind of a sliding scale and we want to know where we rank on the hierarchy. And I just like to remind my clients, like, there's really no scale at all. Like, what if we all just had innate worth? What if being skinnier or prettier or being able to lift heavier or even having more Instagram followers didn't say anything about our value as a person and as a woman? What if we were all good enough just because we're human beings? And when we find ourselves in this scarcity mentality, it's so easy to think that because she's good at something, that means I must be bad at it. And there's there, that there must be like this limited amount of goodness or talent, and we all have to get some before it runs out. But it really doesn't have to be that way. It's, it's, there's no scale and there's no pie that we all just have to get a little piece of before it's all gone, right? I think it's also worth noting that our brains are wired to seek pleasure, avoid pain, and conserve energy. And so when we compare ourselves to others and we come up lacking, We usually feel discouraged and overwhelmed, right? And what we do when we're discouraged and overwhelmed, I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to do when I'm feeling overwhelmed is make a plan of action to conquer my goals. Mm -hmm. And so instead, I do nothing at all in regards to them, which usually helps me conserve energy, right? Because I'm watching cheesy Hallmark movies on Netflix instead of, you know, out there trying to make a plan, (laughs) make plans, make plans or, you know, lift heavier weights or whatever. So that's just our brain's job to like help us. It helps us conserve energy, right? When we feel all those feelings of overwhelm and inadequacy. And so I think it's important to understand that while comparison doesn't serve us well, it's totally normal. And it's, our brain is just watching out for us and she's misinformed. And so I believe that normalizing the comparison game and just recognizing that it's, it's, that nothing's gone wrong with you. If you find yourself comparing to someone else, it at least takes the guilt and shame away from it. Because if we feel guilty and shameful for comparing ourselves to others, then We have two problems, right? We have the problem of comparing and then we have the problem of all the guilt and shame that's stacked on top of it. So do you think that it's possible to get to a point where you don't compare or do you think really the goal is to see that comparison, notice it and be able to like self-correct it? You know, I think that's definitely more realistic, Amber, to like see it, notice it and then, and then kind of let it float on by, right? Talk yourself through it. Totally. And definitely the more that we work on it, the less it happens. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think the, I think that trying to get to a place where we never, ever compare at all is, it's maybe it's possible. I mean, of course it's possible, but it's maybe not realistic. 
Yeah. And I think having a, a good idea of what real is realistic helps you again to like break that shame cycle. Like it does, it's not shameful to, to have it happen, but when you can be in control and empowered to work yourself through it, then you can come out the other side and it doesn't mean anything about you. It doesn't hurt you in the long totally. run. So you kind of talked about this idea of innate worth and which, you know, I think is awesome. And I talk about that a lot. And I find that there are some women that that really resonates well with. And then there are some women who have a really hard time feeling, seeing that innate worth. Um, how do you help to convince somebody over that? Or how do you help to help them to feel that innate worth that they don't have to do anything? They don't have to be anything. They don't have to achieve anything to already be enough. Yeah, it's a hard sell sometimes, right? Because um, we're so used to like being driven by like our, you know, what we accomplish creates our feelings or, you know, means we're worth more or whatever. And I think it's just, I just try at at the beginning to get them to at least be open to the idea, Mm. you know, be open to the idea that like, it's not what you do or what you look like, or even, you know, all of the goals that you've accomplished that make you a worthy and valuable person. Like you're just worthy and valuable because you're a human being. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. End of story. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Awesome. So, so number one, you said, understand why we compare ourselves to others. So what's number two? Number two is just to watch your thoughts. And of course I'm a life coach. So I'm going to talk a lot about your thoughts, but we all catch ourselves falling into the comparison game from time to time. And we mentioned this, whether it's like, you know, scrolling through our Instagram feed or giving that side glance to the girl on the treadmill next to us to make sure we're running just a tenth of a mile faster than <laughs> she is. Or we're sizing up the girl who's lifting next to us to see who looks better in their leggings. Like it just comes so naturally for us, doesn't it? Like before we even can even notice that it's happening, that we're doing it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that it's helping us. And when we notice that we're comparing ourselves to another person, um, the first thing that we can do is just take a step back. You know, you talked about having a bird's eye view. It's kind of like like being the Google satellite of your own brain for just a second. You know, just get curious about your thoughts. Like, I like to ask myself questions like, what's going on in my brain right now? Like, why am I feeling jealous, insecure, or superior to this other person? You know, I love what Brene Brown uh, does when she catches herself in this situation. She says, I automatically ask myself, where am I feeling insecure, Brene? Because she knows that comparison and judgment almost always come from feeling some kind of scarcity or lack or insecurity in some way. And um, I believe that one of the best cures to comparison is gratitude and abundance. And because comparison always comes from some kind of a lack or scarcity. And so believing that there's plenty of PR records, plenty of beautiful pictures, plenty of Instagram followers for everyone. Like another's good fortune and talent doesn't have to diminish our own. And when we can get clear in our own brains about our own personal strengths and about our own personal value as people, resisting the urge to compare just comes more naturally. So can we talk a little bit about the difference between comparison and competition? Because I think, um, I'm a super competitive person. And, and when you were talking about comparison, you, you know, said when we compare ourselves to others, it doesn't necessarily help us reach our goals better. However, I feel with co- competition for me, especially it does. Like if I'm competing and I'm competing against someone, it forces me to push myself faster, harder, further. So 
what's the difference between the two? One seems like it's valuable, maybe at least sometimes, and maybe another is not. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And I think like, when I think of competition, it's kind of like the love of the game, right? It's like the chase or the, or the, the rush that you get by like doing your very best, you know? And, and, but then when I think about comp or comparison, it, it's always tied up to somehow our value. Like we can compete in a, in a soccer game or in a, you know, in a lifting competition and we can not come in first. Right. And then it can just be about the competition. But when we bring comparison into it, we almost always make it mean something about ourselves and our value. So what about when there is only one winner? right? Like, cause we can say, okay, well, there's enough Instagram followers for everybody. There's enough, you know, beautiful pictures for people to post and all of that. But like when you go into, um, a meet or you go into a swimming competition, like there is only one winner. How do you, I guess, use that comparison, that competition drive to fuel you without it beating you down? Yeah. I think it just boils down to like not making it mean something about yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, like you win and that's great. And that means you're the fastest swimmer, right. Mm -hmm. Or that you can lift the heaviest or you lose. And that means that someone else can lift heavier than you can, right. Or swim faster than you can, but you don't make it mean something about your value as a person. So it's not tied. You're not tying your self-worth in in either winning or in losing. Uh, totally. And I think that's a really important point because I think we're, we can sometimes be really good about not tying ourself, our self-worth up in losing, but we're not super good when we win. It's like, oh, I win. That like makes my self-worth more. Oh, I got more followers. That makes my self-worth more. But then if you believe that, if you believe when you lose weight that you are better, if you believe that when you get more followers, you are better, then if you lose followers or you gain weight or you come in second, then now you have to make that believe that your self-worth is less. And so if you can separate yourself from both the winning and the losing, you have self-worth regardless, then that's a powerful place to be in. Totally. That, two, that yeah, right? Exactly. You're exactly right. You couldn't have, yeah, you couldn't have said it better. There's two sides to the, that coin, right? Yeah. And I tell my clients that a lot. Like if we, you know, we're going to celebrate your wins, but if we are putting so much emphasis on the fact that like, yes, I lost a pound this week, this week was a good week. Then when you don't lose a pound or when you gain a pound, then that automatically has to mean that it's a bad week. And so mm-hmm. I like to just be really careful. Like we, like I'd rather celebrate things that are, that are in, within your control. Like I ate two vegetables every day this week. I exercise four times this week, something that's in your control rather than giving your self-worth over to something that may or may not go up or down every single week. Exactly. Right. I totally thought of the scale as you were talking, you know, right before you mentioned it. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, it's just data, right? And we can look at it as data and math versus like, our, our number, like our worth being tied to that number, which is so hard for so many of us to understand. It is really hard for people to understand. Um, that's a whole different subject, <laughs> tying yourself worth to the scale. <laughs> um, a good subject, but a whole different subject. Um, okay. So number one was understand why we compare ourselves. Number two was watch your thoughts. What's number three? And number three is to celebrate other people's successes and look to them as allies, not enemies. So I just like to remind myself and my clients, 
we are all in this together. Another person's success doesn't mean that we're failing. And genuinely celebrating the success of other moms feels so much better than comparing ourselves to them. And especially because we tend to compare our weaknesses to their strengths, right? Which isn't fair to us and it's not fair to them either. So um, there's a common response to the comparison trap that I believe is totally well-intended but insufficient. And we often hear people say something like, don't compare her highlight reel on Instagram to your messy reality, right? Life, Her life is hard too. And I just like to question that because as if knowing that her life were difficult should make us feel better, oh, right? Yes. But what does that really say about us as people if we're hoping that others are suffering so that we can feel better about ourselves? What if instead of hoping that our friend or our sister or that acquaintance at the gym's life were harder than it looks, we instead looked to her as an ally? Instead, we asked ourselves something like, I wonder what I can learn from her. Or when we're feeling down, we so often want to put someone else down with us even if only in our minds? And what if instead we ask them for help, you know, for a hand so that like we could be lifted up? And the reverse is also true. Like what if instead of shrinking or making ourselves small when others compliment us in attempt for us to keep others from feeling bad about themselves, that we instead offered a hand and helped them by sharing what we know. And you're like particularly excellent at this, Amber. You're constantly sharing what you know and lifting those around you. It's inspiring to watch. It's kind of like, I did this and you can do it too. Let me show you how. Yeah. So that line I find is sometimes really hard because I think it is important to to show others what is possible, right? I think that, you know, the four minute barrier was broke for the mile when people saw that it was possible. And when one guy did it, then a whole bunch of people did it. But trying to balance, like, do you have any idea or any thoughts about trying to balance inspiring people without, um, I don't know, that comparison of making it seem like if they can't do it or they don't do it like you do, then it's not good enough. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that like you just have to check what emotion is driving your, your actions, mm, you know, yeah. and if you're coming from a place of generosity and love and wanting to teach, then, then that's going to be great. And, th- but then if you're coming from a place of like, I'm going to show them or they need to know better, mm. right. They're going to receive it. However, they're going to receive it. And some people are going to look mm-hmm. at your, your advice as like, Oh, she thinks she's better than I am. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's really I just like to tell my clients what they think of you is none of your business. You know, you just need to check on what your motives are and what emotions are driving your actions. Mm. And so how can we as moms and as women be better about celebrating other people around us? Is this something that you think needs to be a conscious thing that we're actively trying to do? How do we incorporate this more into our lives? I think the first step is just to like just to step back and, and see how we're feeling about something, you know, like if, if somebody has a lot of success in some area, just, and we find ourselves feeling instantly jealous, you know, it's like Brene Brown said, just like, I just like to take a step back and ask myself, like, where am I feeling insecure, you know, and just get a, get a hold on what we're thinking. And then we can get so much more leverage over it, you know? So I think just recognizing that it's normal to compare ourselves and then, and then to ask ourselves, what do I want to believe instead? Well, I want to celebrate her. Like, this is amazing. She just got 10 pull-ups or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. like, that's amazing. I want to celebrate her. And then I'm going to ask her how she did it because I want to do it too. 
So I'm going to come back to this idea and I'm like harping on this idea. I think because I feel like sometimes in my life, competition is very valuable for me because when I see someone else do it, I realize what's possible and I, it pushes me. So would you say that the difference, this is just me like (laughs) trying to figure this out in my own brain. Would you say the difference between like competition and comparison is comparison ends up with a negative feeling, whereas competition can have, like, can be positive, can have a positive feeling associated. Cause sometimes I see people and I'm like, that girl did, you know, a 300 pound squat. Like, gosh, that like drives me to like push harder and motivate myself. It's like a positive pushing. Whereas like a comparison is almost like she did 300 pounds. I can't do that. Like I'm worthless. I don't know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I can't do that. I'm worthless. Or like, she must be taking something. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, like, that's all, we yeah. like to like, <laughs> we like to downplay, down downplay, yeah. like what they did. Right. But competition, I think like, yeah, it drives you to do your best action. And then, and then whether you win or lose in the end, you can be like, I gave it my all, you know, good game or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a great way to distinguish. It really comes with the feeling that is associated with it. Right. Um, And we have to be careful because I I do notice sometimes it is a comparison and it ends up feeling bad. But for my life, in a lot of my life, like the competition really does fuel me. And I think I'm a very competitive person. I know that probably shocks so many of you, Um, (laughs) but I'm a very competitive person and it does drive me in a positive way, I feel like for the most part. Um, anyway, those, that's just kind of thoughts run, running around in my head while, while you're, while you're sharing all of your stuff with us. No. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a great way to distinguish, you know? Okay. So let's recap the three, three things. Cause I think these were so, so valuable. So number one was understand why we compare ourselves to others. Number two is watch your thoughts. And number three is celebrate others successes. Would you say that some people are mo- more prone to the comparison game than others? Like, is this a female thing? Um, <sighs> That's a good question. I mean, I hate to put like those, you know, stereotypical gender labels, but I think like the people who are most or most prone to comparison are those who don't understand their value and who struggle with their own self-confidence. So they're Mm -hmm. looking for their worth outside of themselves. They're looking outside of themselves for validation. And when we're clear about who we are and about our value as human beings, we, there's just less of a need to look for it in outside sources because we don't feel threatened by those around us because we understand that their successes don't mean that we're failing. Mm, That's really good. Yeah. I like that. Well, Sarah, it's been awesome. I feel like I've gotten some stuff that I want to apply in my life. Um, so thank you for coming and sharing with us. I think. Oh, comparison. thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun. It's so and it's kind of a great, like, it's just a, um, super exciting for me to talk to you. You've been someone that I followed and just admired for years. And it's like a little full circle moment for me. So I thank you that. for giving me the opportunity. <laughs> okay. So just a couple more questions. So the first one I want to ask is, if you were to send yourself a message like 10 years ago, what would you say to your, to your younger self? So the, to the 10 year younger you. Yes. The 30 year old Sarah, the 30 year old Sarah. Say, <laughs> I would say just hang tight. You're doing better than you think you are. And all of the sacrifices that you're making for your family, they're going to be so worth it. So just awesome. hang in there and let everybody know where they can find you. What resources do you have? Yeah. You can find me at sarahpain.com. Uh, that's Sarah with no H P A Y N E. And, um, and I also have just started a podcast. It's called life on call and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Woot, woot. 
That's awesome. Wonderful. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. And I really hope that as you guys are listening, that you're really taking uh, the things that she said to heart. I think um, there's just so many words of wisdom in here about how our thoughts dictate the feelings that we have, which dictate the actions. And just understanding that really helps you to make those changes in your life that you want to make. So thanks, Sarah, for sharing that with us. You're welcome. Hold up, sister friend. Do you love Biceps After Babies Radio? If so, the best way to say thank you is to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. I know every podcaster wants you to leave a review, but it's because those reviews help the podcast to reach more people. And I do truly want to know what you think. If this particular episode resonated with you, will you also please share it? Either send the link to someone who would find it valuable or take a screenshot and post it to your social media and tell your friends and family why they should listen. Make sure you tag me at biceps.after.babies so I can hear your feedback and give you a little love. And you know, if you aren't already following me on Instagram or Facebook, that's the perfect time to hit that follow button. Thank you for being here and listening to Biceps After Babies Radio.